G'day folks and welcome to another episode of Coming Up Next, the podcast. Thanks for streaming or for downloading the show. And if you're not already, you can subscribe to Coming Up Next, the podcast at www.comingupnext.com.au. There's links to iTunes, to Stitcher, to Podbean. And you can also find 148 previous episodes of the show there. Thank you to last week's guest. Thank you to Bryce Jacobs for uh, sharing his journey as a film composer um, through to working on Ron Howard's Rush film. It's a very interesting and insightful conversation with someone who is working at the very top of their game. Emma Lawton this week joins me in the chat cave or the London chat cave. Uh, Emma works in, uh, in design and in tech and at the age of 29 she was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Uh, but she didn't take the diagnosis sitting down. She's become a, a massive advocate for people who have uh, long-term health conditions. She's just launched a, a crowdfunding campaign, which you can find at 365s.com, which is all the words 365s with an S at the end, .com. Uh, she's done multiple TED Talks. She's just started doing stand-up comedy as well. Uh, and uh, we get into that, as usual, philosophy, silliness, all of the above. Uh, so please give a warm coming up next. Welcome to my guest this week, and I hand you over to episode 149 with Emma Lawton. So you launched uh, 365s last week, about a week ago? Yeah, last Wednesday, I think it was. Right, and that was during Parkinson's was, Awareness yeah, Week? Yeah, it was Parkinson's, World Parkinson's Day. World Parkinson's Day, okay. Yeah, it was the day. Right, and that was also coincidentally the day that you finished your... It just, it was because it's when I, when I started it, because it was 365 days I started it in World Parkinson's Day last year. Right. So it kind of worked quite nicely. Yeah. But yeah, I managed to actually add up and get it to make it the whole way around to the year again <laughs> the right day. I was a bit concerned at one point. I had a spreadsheet and I was like, it's not going to work right. <laughs> if Mr. Day or something. But it managed to add up in the end. Right. What do you put into a spreadsheet for video blogging? Really nerdy stuff, like mainly just what you're going to do every day. Right. And whether you've kind of annotated it correctly on YouTube and things like that. And just trying to work out because each of them had like a PD365 day, so like day... 120 but then it also had like a date that i had to try and work out just kind of make them line up it was a really geeky spreadsheet but i like spreadsheets yeah i could imagine it's a nice way to have some kind of control over you have to or otherwise because this kind of with them video blogging there's kind of known events so there's things that you know are going to happen or um kind of special days or something like that you know christmas or easter days when you know there's going to be things in but there's other days when you need to kind of plan stuff to put in yeah so it kind of helps you plan a little bit i did some planning but not very much <laughs> it's very free stuff right were there any uh any particular highlights or lowlights from the year of video blogging 
yes, I would say highlights were appearing on stage with um, the CEO of Microsoft, which was something that I kind of, I started this blog and was like, this is going to be really boring. It's just going to be my year of me sort of doing very little. And then I suddenly got invited to loads of really fun stuff. And I don't think it was because of the blog, but I think it just sort of, I don't know, it just happened to be a really interesting year that I ended up documenting. And I went over to Seattle with Microsoft and did an onstage appearance with Satya Nadella, who's the CEO. And it was insane. And it was really cool to document it and kind of have it as part of it because it made me look cool for a few days. And then I came back home and was boring again. Um, low points have definitely been my neck. I've basically prolapsed a disc in my neck. Yeah, right. And uh, it's that's that kind of happened around the same time, but no one noticed it. And so it's... Um, it's just been steadily getting worse and I've been trying to kind of do everything. So it's been it's been a real a real proper year. There's been some real highs and some real lows. And I've, I think actually it's quite good that my neck's been documented in that time because then if anyone else ever has anything similar, it's kind of, you know, don't ignore it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe do something about it. <laughs> Is that as a result of like the travel that you had to yeah, do? Yeah, they think it was right. from the flight. Apparently it can happen to anyone, but it would happen to me because that's just the kind of unlucky situation <laughs> I found myself in. Yeah. But um, yeah, it just, uh, they think it was cabin pressure, but there might have been some kind of weakness there before or something. Right. So... Three Six Fives yes. is a crowdfunding campaign that you've started yeah. to um, create a, a peer-led website to help people with long-term health conditions. Yeah. yeah. So basically, coming off the back of doing the 365 days of video blogging, I realized that actually I'd helped quite a lot of people and I never really expected to do that because I don't feel like I'm a voice of authority when it comes to Parkinson's. I feel like I have an opinion. Um, and I have my story, but I never really thought I might, I thought I might help myself and I wasn't just being, you know, selfish. I thought I might learn something and kind of see some patterns in my behavior or, you know, that interesting stuff like that. But I never really thought it might actually become something people referred to or, um, used to kind of help them with their own diagnosis. And I was really happy about that. It's kind of, it really sort of opened my eyes to the fact that actually when you're given something, this massive diagnosis, they say to you, you've got Parkinson's, here's some medication, come back in six months. And that's difficult. Yeah. You know, where do you turn? You turn to the internet and there's a lot of weird stuff on the internet sometimes that really doesn't help you. Um, a lot of stuff that can really scare you and a lot of cat videos and you never really find what you're looking for at the time. And I think I sort of, when I got diagnosed, I got kind of pointed in the direction of a group of people that were all kind of young that had Parkinson's. And they sort of saved me a little bit and kind of made me realise that actually I wasn't alone, that, you know, with them I could get through it. And it kind of set me on a positive path. And I think it made me realise that there needs to be more of that, that actually a lot of people don't ever find that because they don't know where to look. So 365s will hopefully be, if I can get it all set up and running and the crowdfunding completes and everything, then uh, it'll be, to start with, just Parkinson's uh, as the kind of test model to see whether it works. Um, a kind of peer-led support website where I'll have kind of 35 to 40 people, um, people with Parkinson's, people who are linked to Parkinson's, so researchers, clinicians, people who care for people with Parkinson's. Um, basically video blogging, not every day like I did because I'm not expecting anyone to be that crazy, <laughs> but just whenever anything interesting happens and sharing their stories and then it will just be tagged really well really organized so that people can go in there and sort of search you know i have parkinson's and i'm scared about taking medication because of side effects you know they can type in a sentence and it will pick out the keywords and it'll be like talking to a friend and 
the plan is that if I can then get it to work for Parkinson's, I can work with other charities and other people that have other maybe really unknown conditions that people are really struggling to find other people with. Um, and then it will just become something that people can refer to. So, you know, I might go on there and be struggling with employment and I can look and see that someone with MS is having a similar problem. And actually, we can all learn from each other, you know, neurological conditions or long-term conditions, chronic conditions. I think we can all learn from each other. We're all going through the same stuff, just with different different problems, really. So uh, It's just different languages, I guess. Yeah, exactly. So it's sort of, that's the plan. Um, halfway through my crowd, crowdfunding at the moment, which is great, not time-wise, like money-wise. So, oh, wow. Yeah, feeling quite smug about that. It's uh, <laughs> had some really generous donations. But the thing is, I'm really pleased because I think the donations so far have come from people I really admire, either people living with Parkinson's or people in the kind of tech industry. So just their validation is sort of, is awesome, you know? It's yeah. Like, well, I mean, you're doing a pretty remarkable thing. Uh, you're kind of. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like you know, you're not being victimized by your situation. Trying not to be, yeah. Yeah, um, and I think that people generally respond well to that sort mm. of thing when you put your, uh, you put your yourself or your uh, a cause before your own ego. Thanks. I hope I hope that's I hope that's you know yeah I mean I, I do feel like I get a lot of support from the kind of from the community and from the, I've kind of I'm kind of in two communities I guess I'm in the sort of Parkinson's community and the tech community and I kind of feel like I get some decent respect from both which is really nice and some real support to kind of put into the projects that I want to do so if I can help people that don't really have a voice in the community yet or don't really have an, an outlet for what they want to do kind of tech wise or you know if I can kind of help them with that then that's something I want to do yeah so you have a background in like web design and design in general yes yeah so I used to be more sort of um kind of hands-on design and I sort of moved away from that quite naturally before I got diagnosed which is bizarre I kind of moved into creative direction and was more of a kind of a you know stand behind someone tell them what to move it or how many pixels to move it what colors to color it in sort of thing um but I've always been really interested in sort of the tech side of things. If I was designing a brand, a logo or something, I'd always want to work out like how it moved in the space or like what texture it would be and what sound it would make and things like that. So I think I've always been kind of interested in things being sort of more rounded and kind of like a complete solution. And so I've kind of found myself now working in a more kind of techie sort of role. So I'm currently working for the Parkinson's charity as my job title is ridiculous. Devices, apps and gadget strategist, which makes it sound like I've got like go, go gadget arms or something, but I need to wear like a trench coat, like uh, Inspector Gadget. <laughs> but um, it's basically just trying to get tech into the hands of people that need it, the right tech into the hands of people that need it. So working with the big tech companies to kind of make sure that they're considering Parkinson's symptoms, um, but also testing kind of apps and devices that are already out there and making sure that they work for people. And then having an opinion as a charity to kind of say, you know, that we can recommend to the clinicians when they're kind of um, diagnosing someone, they can say, you know, take away this medication, but also if you tried this app, you know, what about this website? You can find other people on 365.com. That's the plan. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, it's kind of, it's all kind of coming together in looking at kind of the fact that really tech is going to help us no end. The medication for Parkinson's has been around since the 50s and 60s. There's been no change. Right. So we're stuck with this like old medication trying to kind of live the same lives that everyone else is living in the modern day. And it's really difficult. 
So tech is our kind of saviour, I think, a little bit, in my opinion, anyway. Have you always been into design and tech? Yeah, and I come from a family of sort of designers. So my parents are both kind of design, well, were designers. My brother's a designer. So we sort of, in our house, it was always, you know, we grew up with all the kit around us that we needed to use to have. Our school projects were epic. No one stood (laughs) a chance against us. We had like lecture set and all sorts of fun stuff like um, whenever it was fancy dress day at school my parents would make these like massive battleship costumes for my brother and I'd have like all sorts of like amazing things and it was just it was just such a creative environment to grow up in yeah that um I think we you know we wanted to naturally go into that but we had the support we needed and the equipment we needed from a very sort of early age so uh, was it always design or were there other things that came before that you thought you might do drama Right. I wanted to be an actress, which is quite funny because I think I feel like I wanted to be a writer, I wanted to be an interior designer, and I wanted to be an actress. <laughs> I don't really do interior design, but I, um, everything else has kind of wound up being my job by default with what I do because I stand on stages and I talk to people and I feel like that's kind of you know getting the acting part of me out and I like storytelling and I've written a book and so it's like I don't know I feel like I've got to do everything that I wanted to do when I was a kid mm. and have a kind of what I consider a sensible job <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's not there's not a lot of creatives out there that get to have that kind of stable income to go no. with their feeding their creative addictions no exactly it's great I think I feel like I've managed to kind of shove a load of things together and make a career out of it so as, as long as that continues I'll be super happy I think right do you remember the first time like the first show that you did as a kid like performing and feeling like this is what I want yeah. to do. Yeah, I was, I think it was, I'm trying to remember, my dad used to work for Vauxhall Motors and they had two drama clubs as part of it, like kind of, um, it was weird. I don't know why they had that. I never really questioned it as a kid, but it was a great thing. They had like two drama clubs that people used to put shows on every year. Um, and my dad was in both of them because he was a real kind of drama fiend. And uh, I would go along and be the bit part, kind of small person in things. So I think I was... I think it was like Alice in Wonderland or Alice, Alice down the whatever it is, whatever the kind of modern version of it is. And I think I was some sort of animal. And I remember thinking, this is what I want to do for life. <laughs> be an animal. I want to always be a crab right. <laughs> or a lobster or whatever it was. Yeah, I just remember being in some sort of pink costume and I think I was definitely an animal. But I then, when I kind of got a bit older, I took kind of drama lessons to be a drama teacher and um, did kind of speech lessons and stuff. And I think... With Parkinson's, you can really struggle and kind of lose your speech and your communication. And for me, that is a massive deal. I don't want that to ever happen. And I feel like I've been kind of stood in good stead by having those lessons quite early on. It's kind of taught me to enunciate and all the sort of things that you need to do to communicate properly. And hopefully I I won't lose my kind of voice. Mm. It's a really big deal, I think. Yeah. It's my biggest fear. Yeah. I I could imagine that that would be very profound. It's not easy for people to do. Some people get kind of tongue tremors and stuff, so they kind of stutter or their voice gets really, really quiet, really, really quiet. I've noticed I've started talking really quickly, so I have to try and talk slower. Yeah. (laughs) So while you were at school, uh, obviously parents are being very supportive of your creative pursuits. And when you finished school, what was the kind of game plan? So when I finished school, I decided that I was going to kind of spread myself really thinly and do the weirdest, I wanted to do the weirdest course you've ever heard of, which was um, drama with drama with graphic design or graphic design with drama on the side. And I'd like, I don't think I'd have been employable in either of those things had I done that degree. So I'm quite glad I didn't in the end. But um, I basically took some time out and went to work for a fashion company in Luton, which I think is an oxymoron in itself. But uh, <laughs> 
Um, it was it was good. It was good fun. It kind of taught me that I like design. So I think that's when I made the shift. It was like I went from I want to do drama. I want to do drama. I'm doing drama all the time. And then suddenly I just I went and worked in this little fashion house and used to sit with the print designer who'd sit there painting prints all day and I just thought this is cool I like this I might want to be a designer and went into that did my kind of art foundation and stuff but my parents have always been incredibly supportive of whatever I want to do they will you know they'll support me and do whatever they can I think they've realized that I'm always going to be a bit different and I'm always going to take a slightly different path on you know, my brother, bless him, is towing the line for both of us. He's married and, you know, all that stuff. I'm like, good boy, come on, you hold that down and I'll be a bit flighty and do r- ridiculous things instead. So uh, Go and stand on stage with the CEO of... Microsoft. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so once you finished university and you kind of settled in yeah. the design world, yeah, I guess it was, what, maybe like five or six years before you got Parkinson's diagnosis? Yeah, I'm trying to think when it was. So it was five years ago now. I'm trying to think when I finished university, probably longer ago than I'd like to remember. But yeah, so I'd been working in an agency, a couple of different agencies, and then I was kind of settled in one in London um, when I got my diagnosis. What was your, what was your, uh, sorry to cut you off. No, sorry. What was your plan kind of at that point, like before you got the diagnosis, where were you kind of seeing yourself? I don't think yourself? I really had one. I think that's the weird thing about the diagnosis is it kind of shook me up a little bit and made me realize I'm so much more passionate about everything and more driven and I know what I want and what I want to do and what I want to achieve and before I think you know I had sort of some goals I guess roughly I probably would have just pootled along in that job for a long time and just kind of carried on I, I didn't really have any sort of plans I mean I was 29 and I think a lot of people at 29 don't really have many plans for life you're just kind of sort of happy where you are and I liked the people I worked with they were like my family and it just I didn't really kind of see any changes you know in my future really and then then I got Parkinson's and the thing is I may have had it probably for a couple of years before that there's you know my diagnosis came at 29 but I probably had it from like 27 26 you know kind of it only starts actually showing symptoms when you think you've lost like I think it's like sixty percent of your dopamine. So when you've lost sixty percent of the chemical that you know causes the Parkinson's, you know it's that that's when it starts to show. So probably mm. yeah, a good couple of years, maybe even five six years before You're right. I would have had it. So wow. So what I suppose uh, for anyone who doesn't know what Parkinson's yeah, is, yeah, I think a lot of people don't. I didn't definitely. Um, so it's basically it's a really complex neurological condition that everyone gets it very differently. There's I think over 40 symptoms they're saying now it's like most people when you think of Parkinson's you think of like Muhammad Ali you think of Michael J Fox and you think of like a tremor and an older person normally has it and kind of you know they shake and that's Parkinson's now I have the tremor I have the shake so I'm kind of more typical but a lot of people don't it's um because it's basically caused by this lack of a chemical called dopamine in your brain it's that chemical kind of fires off and communicates with all your muscles it's kind of involved in mood and temperature control and all sorts of things that you just would never expect so there's this whole massive list I mean we're all insomniacs pretty much all of us with Parkinson's never sleep um I have problems with sort of like but a lot of people have problems with like apathy I don't have that yet I'm kind of still quite excited about life and getting on with stuff but a lot of people have problems with apathy depression anxiety all sorts of things so um do you think that's because you've created uh, I guess work and a space for yourself yeah. where you can't like doing the PD three six five. You know that's even if you 
even if it's tedious, it gives you something to yeah. do. And if people are interacting and engaging with you, it's yeah. like a positive. Definitely that. I think I've had, I've given myself some structures, I think, to, to my day and to my life. And also I've made a life for myself that is so linked with Parkinson's that actually I can't be mad at Parkinson's. I kind of, it's given me so much. And, you know, if I was apathetic about my life, for goodness sake, I mean, um, everything I get to do is incredible. I have a really fun life and... I can see why people do get that way. I totally get it. You know, it's very easy to, and there's certain days when I get up, and I'm like, I just can't, literally cannot be bothered to do the things that I have to do, but I'm committed to them, and I've said I'll do them, so I do them. But if those things were things I could get out of, then I probably would do a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess if you don't mind telling me when you did find out what that kind of whole experience was like. Yeah, I mean, it was weird because I was at that point in time working on the Parkinson's UK charity website at work, designing it. And I wasn't personally designing it, but my company was. And so it was all just, around This me. is just by coincidence. Just by coincidence, they were one of our clients. And um, so I'd kind of been, you know, they've been doing a lot of stuff around the symptoms and things like that. And I just, when they said there was a couple of things it could potentially be, they said it could be Parkinson's, Wilson's or Huntington's. And I think Wilson's and Huntington's you die from, I think. Parkinson's is the only one from that list I don't think you die from, you die with. Um, so I was kind of rooting for Parkinson's and I, I definitely thought that's what it was because I, it was just all around me at work and everyone was talking about the symptoms and I was thinking, well, that sounds a bit familiar, it sounds like something I might have. But um, up until that point, up until the point of my actual sort of tests and stuff, um, through all the tests, I'd gone to all the appointments by myself because I was still so adamant that it was just a trapped nerve or something. You know, you don't you don't think anything that big's ever going to happen to you, and um, I finally took my parents with me to the kind of appointment where they told me whether I'd got it, and obviously they said I did have it. Um, and my dad was sat in the waiting room, and I just remember being really concerned that we were going to have to tell my dad because we didn't want to all like bundle in together. So my dad was like, "Look, I'll stay out here, and then just come get me," sort of thing. And um, I remember the nurse saying, "You can, do you want to go and get your dad?" And I was like, "Oh, this sounds serious." Um, and they sort of explained the situation but I think I just actually felt relieved which is probably not what my parents were feeling because they hadn't had that time to kind of come to terms with it but I think I'd come to terms with it because I decided that's what I had and I was ready for it and so telling everyone else was actually harder than finding out myself Um, it gave answers to a lot of things that I'd been trying to work out what they were Um, a lot of kind of non-motor symptoms you know not tremor and stuff like that at that point but struggling with decision making and emotional stuff and just generally not feeling myself and it as soon as I started medication it sort of made sense of all that and and started to kind of ease off a bit so I think it was linked but just um it was everyone was just so incredibly positive no one for a minute said anything like oh you know we're really sorry or everyone was just like well you'll be fine you're Emma you know Someone sent me a message about saying we're Emma's army and we'll fight this together and that kind of stuck and everyone kind of became my army and uh, I think because I was started off in that way with an incredible nurse and an incredible consultant as well who just pretty much were like we're going to help you live the life you want to live. There was nothing to be scared of really. Um, Then I got scared, you know, probably about maybe six months after, (laughs) you know, suddenly all kind of came crashing down a little bit and I suddenly started not going to stuff and, and feeling quite scared and the future felt quite bleak and I think it just all of a sudden sort of hit me you know I kind of got through that first maybe maybe three months of 
just kind of buoyed by everyone's love and support and then it just suddenly it made me realize that I had it every day for the rest of my life and I think it was when I started the medication that I actually suddenly felt quite worried about it because you you take a tablet and you, you know you're used to things like paracetamol and things like that that actually do what they're supposed to do you know you take a tablet and it works Parkinson's medication doesn't it sort of does sometimes for some people but you can have medication one day and do a set of things, you know, sleep a certain amount of time, eat a certain amount of food and what you eat and drink, be stressed, and then do the same thing the next day and have a completely different set of outcomes. And your medication is so sensitive to all those things that it just behaves so differently. Um, and actually it has such horrendous side effects that are actually worse sometimes than the condition itself. Um, you can get addictions to all sorts of fun things. Um, you can basically have this thing called dyskinesia where your arms and legs sort of flail around and that's caused by the medication it's there's so many things that you just think is it worth me actually taking the tablets and I think that really shook me up I was so used to medication actually working and not causing extra problems that it just kind of threw me off a little bit Mm. what were the some of the I guess day-to-day challenges that you found initially um initially I think as soon as my tremor started to kind of creep in that that became a lot more difficult because being a designer I was kind of more hands-on and you know it just became more difficult to convey what I was trying to explain I suddenly realized that I was having to work with this one particular guy who was really good at drawing and if we were in a meeting together I'd be like pal can you just draw that for me and I just I didn't want it to be like that I wanted to be able to do it myself and it's very difficult to explain stuff sometimes when you're kind of just waving your arms around and going, well, it's going to look like this. And, you know, trust me, honestly, client, it's going to be fine. And um, that was really difficult when the tremor crept in. But also just the the weight of it, I think, was just, it was a lot to cope with. Um, and I just, I don't know, it just really, I really, really struggled with it. And I, I just, I didn't know how to tell people. Um, and I didn't want to bring people down. And so I just stopped going to stuff. And then that would make me really sad because I'd sort of, I'd say, I'm not going to come. And the minute, the minute the kind of words would leave my mouth, I'd be like, but I want to go. Why am I not going? And it was just, I think I was just exhausted. I was like emotionally and physically just exhausted by it. And it it just took its toll. And then I, I just remember very clearly, vividly sitting in my parents' house and having some friends over and them inviting me to go do something. And me just saying, oh, no, you know, I'm not going to stay here sort of thing. And then I just thought, you absolute idiot, like Parkinson's is taking what it's trying to take away from you, but you're letting it. And it's actually, it's it's only as bad as you let it be. Like if I stop, if I start going and doing stuff and spending time with people who love me and want to do fun stuff with me, then I can show it that, you know, I'm better than it and it, it'll be fine. So I kind of tried to man up a little bit and start saying yes to stuff, which was really hard in the first place, but then it's it's become a lot easier and... I'm so glad I did because you can't go through stuff like this on your own without your friends. Um, you need to have fun, and yeah, like I said, you know, Parkinson's is only as restrictive as you as you let it be to you, really. Yeah, fully believe that. And I guess that's why you believe in creating this community online yeah. of a support network for yeah. for people. Um, wh- at what point did you decide that you were gonna? take the negative and turn it into a positive and be uh, become an advocate for Parkinson's? 
it's weird actually i didn't realize how i properly felt about it until i spoke about it in an interview for the first time i think sometimes when you're kind of put in a situation where you you're not communicate i kind of spoken to my friends and family about it but i'd never really sort of spoken in front of a camera and said something that would be a lasting thing that would stay and I ticked a box on a Parkinson's UK press form that basically said I'm happy to do media work thought nothing would come of it and they kind of sent a couple of camera guys around to my house and an interview and a photographer and said we'd like to interview you about your story and I thought okay I'll give this a go and as I was I was talking to the guy that interviewed me the other day about this actually and I said that him asking me those questions made me formulate in my head how I felt about it and I realized I actually did feel positive about it that actually I did feel that it had shaken me up enough that I could potentially change my life and kind of move in a different direction and I can vividly remember feeling that and it coming out of my mouth and me not knowing that that's how I felt about it until I said it and um, literally from that point onwards it just kind of caught fire and I think people like my story because it's a little bit different but also it's easy to kind of follow someone's story when they're positive it's a lot harder when someone's negative and I'm I think that's a little bit wrong in a way um because you know anyone that tells any story it's it's valid but it's easier to kind of swallow a story that's more positive but that's how I feel it's not that I'm putting it on that's just how I feel about it yeah and you you know like you said you started doing public speaking I know you did a TEDx talk done four now done four now yeah it's incredible (laughs) sorry that's a ridiculous thing to say (laughs) i mean it's 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 fairly warranted or justified (laughs) i haven't done any ted talk you should i think you'd be good (laughs) what would you do it about uh the importance of being silly oh i like that that's good my dad would join you on that one he's a big he's a big fan of the silly i feel like i'd just get everyone in the audience to tell me why they're silly and then make them show me and then involve balloons or something. Balloons are quite silly. We'll have a balloon drop. Let's do that. Yeah. Confetti and sequins and stuff. I'm with you on this one. <laughs> what was your What was your first uh, TEDx experience like? Petrifying, but kind of exciting all in one go. And then I suddenly realised that I have this really bad thing where I don't prepare for stuff and it works. And that makes me really bad because it really scares the TED people because they like you to be prepared to the hilt and when I did my first one I think I changed my presentation the night before um, and the guy was like okay we trust you and I was like you shouldn't I'm not prepared <laughs> um, because I had it on a kind of particular theme and then I just realised it wasn't it wasn't massively interesting or inspiring or different it was just a talk and I was just waffling and I just thought I'm going to do something a bit different and actually it was it's probably the smallest TED event that I've done or one of the smaller ones in London and it's had the most amount of views. Um, that one's the one that's kind of, you know, really kind of caught people's attention that people always seem to watch. The TEDx London one has had less views, which is actually a bigger event. So uh, there's obviously something about it that's kind of intrigues people. So that was one about Parkinson's bringing me happiness. So I think it was about that one. I think that was the one. So right. It kind of surprised people that those two words were going the same sentence. Yeah. And what was the... Well, the premise is obviously that Parkinson's brought you happiness. Yeah. But what was the kind of through line? It was the fact that actually there is happiness in everything if you if you look hard enough and that um, there's kind of good things to every sort of bad situation. So the fact that, you know, Parkinson's brought me, I think I had like 10 things as part of the talk that were things that Parkinson's had brought into my life that had made my life happier when you'd expect it to be harder. So, you know, being more tolerant of people and being more aware of what other people are going through. Um, 
not having to wear heels all the time being able to wear flat shoes if I want to also the not growing up being silly was one of them as well and the fact that actually when you're aware when you're aware that people are watching you and you feel quite self-conscious it kind of allows you to be free and actually do what you want and not care what people think about you anymore because people you know are going to judge you anyway they, you don't have any say in it you might as well just do something a bit daft and be a bit freer in it and sort of you suddenly realize the rules are there to kind of keep you safe and if you're not safe already if there's something wrong with you you might as well kind of break the rules a little bit sometimes so uh, yeah yeah I think it was a really interesting one and the one I did after that was about confidence which I think again was probably a bit of a contradiction the fact that you know was it my parents kind of upbringing or was it Parkinson's that kind of brought confidence into my life so I kind of like that kind of spin and that twist Mm. how significant is it for you I mean I speak to a lot of people and a lot of people seem to have that kind of almost irreverent quality about their life or the things that have happened or maybe if it's not an irreverent quality they like to take the piss or you know there's always kind of not always, but often a kind of joviality or a yeah. jovial quality to yeah, people's attitudes. How how important or significant do you think that's been for you? Oh, it's been everything. I mean, I grew up in a household where everyone takes the mick out of everyone for everything. And like my dad has a an eye condition. He basically has the opposite of tunnel vision. So he just has his peripheries. Um, and we, we joke with him, we laugh with him and he laughs about it himself. And it just, it's sort of, you know, kind of, being brought up in a household where it's okay to be different and to laugh at yourself and to take the mick out of yourself is was great it was really freeing and I think the Parkinson's community is hilarious I mean the people that I know that have it have got such incredible senses of like really wicked senses of humor there's so many people writing kind of really rude poetry there's people doing stand (laughs) I did stand up recently and that was so much fun because being able to stand on the stage and basically be like I've got Parkinson's my neck is screwed don't heckle me you know you're all bastards if you heckle me (laughs) and then do a a stand-up set and kind of I won the night which was I was so happy because it was like it was like one for Parkinson's and one for me as well you know like a win for both of us sort of thing but it just um being able to do that and to kind of like shock people a little bit is a really good way of raising awareness because I think people expect you, people with Parkinson's to be older men and then you get a girl going up on stage making rude jokes about dating you know it's like yeah. it's quite sort of it's not what you're expecting what were your rude jokes about dating um so I was talking about the fact that I have to dictate rude messages into my phone and that my next door neighbors probably think I'm a hooker. <laughs> so that was one and the fact that my tremor has a different taste in men than I do so often I swipe the wrong people and then uh, delete the other people that I want to swipe so. <laughs> it's got a lot ruder than that. I'm just not going <laughs> to not going to go there. Not going to go there. You don't want to give away your material anyway. No, people got to come and see you. When did you start writing material? the day before I went on stage and right. did stand up <laughs> I'm very last minute you might be guessing that by now but uh, I mean you say that but then your TEDx talks at least the ones that I've seen are like riddled with jokes so I think I'm I naturally like to find the humor in situations and stories and I kind of as a family we we collect stories from other people we collect funny things and we like to kind of recount them and it's just something we've always done and I think it's something that's kind of been instilled in me that you collect funny things and then you tell them to other people so if I can see the humor in a situation I store it up and I kind of roll it around in my head and try and work out the best way to retell it and so I've always got this little stash of sort of stories and things that I want to tell and share and 
observations and I just yeah I like I like wordplay I think as well and I like I like humor I think it's a really good way of dealing with stuff stuff that's actually quite difficult mm. and opening it up to people that might feel awkward otherwise about talking to you about it you know if you kind of make a joke about it then it makes it easier for everyone yeah and I suppose having a 365 day video blog with a mm. spreadsheet gives you a good outlet to kind of um, order and sort said stories and yes. jokes and need a good spreadsheet in your life always <laughs> so what what kind of led up to deciding to do the um, PD 365 uh, project because I guess there's a good few years in between mm. when you get when you get the um, the the diagnosis and then kind of I guess accepting that then yeah. becoming an advocate and then actually yeah. starting to do that sort of stuff. I think I realised that I was getting loads of. I mean, it kind of went from the fact that I was given loads of opportunities to kind of tell my story, um, and a lot of the time it was other people telling my story. So it was sort of um, journalists or, um, you know. I don't know, people kind of coming up with their own way of telling it and often getting it wrong or getting it almost right but not quite there. Um, maybe the kind of sentiment was wrong or they'd use the word Parkinson's sufferer or something like that and it'd just be like, oh, you killed it. You were so close, but you killed it. And I think uh, I realised that if I could tell it myself, then it was more powerful and I could control it a bit more. So I started writing articles for papers and I wrote my book and then it just sort of became like a natural thing from that and I think deciding to do PG365 I think it happened one night I have all these ideas at night stand-up comedy happened in the middle of the night I was like I'm gonna do stand-up great idea um <laughs> so I think I everyone always says to me when I tell them that I did the project they're like who made you do that or who came up with that idea and I'm like oh I did that's my idea and I roped someone else into it with me as well bless him and he I think he lasted about 30 days and then just couldn't handle it anymore so he was too much of a perfectionist so uh he was uh he really struggled to kind of get it done <laughs> but uh i felt then that i had to carry on because he'd stopped so uh, yeah you can't be a perfectionist if you're doing something oh i just got to the point where i was just flinging it up on the internet by the end i mean god knows what rubbish is up there now but <laughs> hopefully it's still helping people when you did start actually putting it up mm. i mean what was the process for you like did you did you understand i mean just in a practical sense did you understand the kind of creative process or the practical process of recording videos and editing them no i'd never really done anything like this before which is why it was so ridiculous um but i you know done some sort of video stuff in the past but it was the thing that really interested me was seeing the story in every day and sort of going through my day and kind of catching things in my mind and thinking oh that'd be really interesting to kind of tell or let me video this or you know this or this will kind of help people learn about this and just um that was the really interesting bit to me and I think once I'd sussed that it didn't really matter what format I did it in what the quality was like it just became about the message um but the pretty hilarious thing was I think uh, the first day I went out and got drunk because I was so excited that I'd managed one day and then missed doing the second day almost and everyone messaged me and was like you're right you're dead is everything okay and I was like no I'm just really hungover so my second one I think my second day on my third day is called the one with the hangover because I basically almost missed doing it and then for like the whole thing afterwards if I ever was late to upload one everyone would message me and go you hung over again <laughs> yeah probably <laughs> and you must be a uh, must be a, a friends fan I'm assuming yeah well not not so much but I like it but it just it kind of became a natural way to title the 
the things because someone basically said to me that I had to title them so that people could find them and I had to do all this stuff and tagging and things like this and I started doing it and I just thought this is balls I don't want to do this so I just want to make it so that it's fun and you know people can still find it if they need it but I don't want to kind of put all the keywords in the title and make it really dry yeah. so I was like I'm going to make it as obscure as possible I think in most cases <laughs> but um, just a bit more fun but yeah no just I mean, friends had it right it's a good way of titling things yeah did you was there a particular moment where you realized that it was really affecting people or that there were people who were really connecting with your stories yeah i had a couple of people sort of message me basically a few times kind of and i noticed that they were sort of following it and i thought well that's that's quite nice and then then I had a couple of emails that were quite quite deep emails, kind of basically saying that I've been diagnosed and I feel like you're a friend across the other side of the world from me and that you're supporting me through it and actually you've helped me. And, and the messages I got at the end were just incredible. It was, I think a couple of people were actually a bit like, what do I, what do, I do now sort of thing? What, you've supported me for the last year. And that was one of the reasons I started thinking about doing 365s is, is I didn't want to leave those people on their own. You know, I'd kind of felt like I'd led them so far and I couldn't just ditch them. I needed to kind of provide something else for them and everyone else that gets diagnosed. It kind of felt like it was a bit of a duty in a way, but a nice nice duty um did you have an idea when you started uh that uh, of what an ideal kind of scenario would be at the end of the year or was it just kind of you were just doing what felt right i honestly thought i wouldn't manage to do it i genuinely thought i wouldn't manage to do it i, I you know it's a year is a long time and i don't really stick at stuff very well unless i'm really committed to it and i think I just I genuinely didn't think I'd make it past a couple of months so as it kind of grew and, and suddenly I got to, I think I got to like six months and I thought I've got to carry on now you know I've done six months of this I've got to keep going but it, it's weird like it's been lots happened in that year but it feels like a really really recent that I started it I can't believe it's been a year and it just it's insane and I think no one else could believe it was a year it kind of crept up on me as well I had um, a lot more interviews I still wanted to do that I hadn't done and people are still nagging me now saying can you do my interview and just slot it into the past in the uh, <laughs> in the thing but it's just uh, yeah it kind of crept up on me a little bit it must feel a little bit like uh, I don't want to say naked but it's like I know that I when I've done something say that I've done something every day for like three yeah. months and then suddenly I'm not doing it anymore. I feel it's, a bit like I don't really know what to do with myself. You don't really ease yourself out of it. It's yeah. like all and then nothing. Yeah, I mean, it's weird that I go home now and I'm like, I have a whole evening that I can do whatever I like. What, <laughs> what, what should I do? I don't know what to do. I don't have to stand in front of my computer editing all night. Um, yeah, it's kind of weird. And I'm finding myself still sort of looking for the stories every day and actually because it's quite quiet because I'm having a bit of a chill afterwards. Well, I say that I've just launched something else, haven't I? I'm not chilling that much. No. But, uh, yeah, I'm sort of, I'm kind of starting to kind of think about, you know, making videos for that. I mean, it would be nice to have some videos that I can upload to kind of start with. And I suppose I've got 365, haven't I, that I can fling up on the new platform. Yeah. Get other people to do some stuff as well. But you, ha you have no shortage of content. I think I'm quite content heavy. Yeah. <laughs> so what is the kind of, when if you cast your mind forward, what does you know, three, six, fives, what does that look like? What does, wh what are you hoping? How would you define uh, this next kind of phase as, as being a success? I would love it if in, and I'm probably talking kind of years, a couple of years, that actually it became something that, you know, the NHS 
supported as well. I'm going to try and work with some sort of um, some nurses and some clinicians and some experts in the conditions to find out how much they'd like to be involved in the content. And, you know, it's kind of working out that level of whether it's, you know, content that's been verified or whether it's just people talking um the kind of trust level of the content and whether you know you can rely on it and I, that's something i'm quite interested in but i would love it to be something that feels like a sort of a backup to what the nhs are doing and that it becomes this the place that people go to to find out about long-term health conditions you know if you're a journalist and you're writing a story you'd head there if you're you know in parliament and you're looking for kind of health stuff you'd head there if you're um, someone who's just been diagnosed you'd had there I just I want it to be the go-to place for real authentic information about health conditions and I want it to expose some conditions that people don't really know about and people don't have access to information about there's a lot of really rare conditions out there I mean Parkinson's itself there's this thing called Parkinsonism I can never say it Parkinsonisms which is like Parkinson's but not full Parkinson's Um, you get kind of elements of it and, and kind of other things bolted on and they don't really have their own charity you know they don't have anything like that but actually i'm hoping that it can kind of focus on stuff like that as well so people can feel like they've got somewhere they can go and have their voice heard as well so ideally i would just love it if it's if it's grown if it's become bigger i mean i've already had people reaching out saying you know i've got a daughter who has autism i'd love to help you grow the the autism side of things i've had you know messages from people that are willing to host it for a couple of years you know people are kind of reaching out and already it feels like it's it could grow really big and i'll suddenly be kind of over overflown by it but it you know i'd rather that happen than it just sit somewhere and be small so we'll mm. deal with that when it happens yeah it'd be a pretty good problem to have i think yeah <laughs> uh if anyone listening wanted to get in touch with you how would they do that um, they can find me on Twitter. So I'm at ems underscore Lawton, E-M-S underscore L-A-W-T-O-N. Um, they can find my crowdfunding page at 365s, that's words, 365s with an S on the end, dot com. And that'll be where the page will sit when it's eventually kind of built and everything. TED Talks, if you go on YouTube um, and basically search for Emma Lawson, there's lots of fun stuff on there. So there's my TED Talks, there's PD365, which is the 365-day vlogging I did. And there's also a clip from the BBC documentary I was in, which is a good one to watch as well. Awesome. Bundles of content. Bundles. Probably probably more than a bundle. I'm fun to Google. There's fun (laughs) stuff. Well, Em, I uh, end all of my conversations with the same question, and it's a throwback to uh, what my TED Talk would be about, I suppose. The question is, what makes you silly? What makes me silly? Oh, just... I'm just generally inbuilt silly. I think I have silly deep down in my soul, because I just... um, I just always want to kind of run around, make funny noises, and throw stuff, and I think my inner child is pretty active. Um, So I think... My answer to you is I am silly. <laughs> just generally silly is the summary for me. That's what makes me silly. Me makes me silly. It's a much more spiritual kind of response. Yeah. Not something I am, you're one with silliness. Yeah. Or you are silly. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. I'm the d- you look in the dictionary, I'm the definition of silly. Yeah. Although Thanks. I'm sat here very sensibly right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Em. Thanks.